Hello, greetings. We're so glad that you've joined us, and we're glad that you have an interest in spiritual things. My name is Ethan Long Henry, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. At the Venice Church of Christ, we seek to practice New Testament Christianity. And if you know much about Christianity, you know that Christianity is understood as being a faith. And perhaps you've heard all sorts of things about faith. A lot of times, faith is discussed in terms of religion. And these days, faith tends to be contrasted with science or reason in the media and other places. In fact, society and culture have bracketed faith into its own domain, the realm of faith, as opposed to other matters that might pertain to the realm of science or the realm of politics or something of the sort. And even beyond that, there's the way that the New Testament and the Old Testament, the scriptures, speak about faith, which proves very necessary for our spiritual lives, as we will see in Hebrews 11, 1 and 6, and Jude 1 and verse 3. And Christians talk about the faith, and then there's also the matter of people's faith that they have themselves. In fact, you might have heard and or had the suggestion that all a Christian needs to do to be saved is to have faith. Well, what would that look like anyway? And so, for a little while, let's explore from the pages of Scripture, faith. Where do all of these various definitions and ideas come from? Uh, what does it mean that Christianity is a faith? Is that a bad thing? What would the faith be in Christianity? And what does it mean for us to have faith or to believe? And to begin with, it's good to get an idea of definitions, to understand the full range of meaning. In Merriam-Webster's dictionary, faith is defined as complete trust or confidence in someone or something, strong belief in God or in the doctrines of a religion, based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. And we're going to uh, maybe take some issue with uh, that some of those elements of that definition in terms of what is truly real, but in terms of the way the word is used, uh, the dictionary is accurate. In Greek... In the New Testament, written in Greek, the faith is the noun pistis. The verb to believe is the verb pisteuo. Pistis is fidelity, faithfulness, conviction of the truth of anything or belief, according to Thayer's lexicon. Uh, we've actually reversed the basic definitions. Uh, in the actual lexicon, he begins with um, belief, conviction of the truth of anything, and then fidelity, faithfulness. We'll explain why we've reversed it later. Pisteuo is a thing to be true, to be persuaded of, to credit, to place confidence, and to entrust a thing to one. Now, generally, but not exclusively, the noun pistis is translated as faith, and the verb pisteuo is translated to believe. If you can hear that, pistis, pisteuo, they sound similar because they come from the same root concept. And they're very synonymous. Uh, belief and faith are very synonymous. The thing and the adherence to the thing. Uh, is what's going on with belief and faith. So to believe is to accept something as true, to feel sure of the truth of, or hold something as an opinion to think or suppose in English. And that goes along with the things that we've been talking about. So we can understand, hopefully, from these definitions why there can be so much confusion about faith and what it may refer to. This original idea is uh, someone or something that is trustworthy or reliable. And so, f faith is trust or reliance upon. But what are we going to put our trust in, or, f or in what or in whom? And faith, therefore, expands, so to speak, to speak of the one person or that which is accepted as trustworthy. And so, thus, begun, begins to be spoken of as beliefs or idea of certain things that are accepted as true. Uh, faith we can also look at uh, both ontologically and philosophically uh, as its own category, things that are believed upon. 
And that's how, in modern parlance, science contrasted with faith uh, because of the methodology. And, of course, in the past couple centuries, we've had a secular spiritual divide, and all things spiritual have been categorized under faith, while other things keep their own category subsets in the general secular realm. And so the domain of faith is religion, while other domains explore other subjects. And so when we speak of faith in modern culture, we speak really of a lot of different issues, don't we? We speak of a category. Faith as a set of beliefs, often contrasted with science. The object. Uh, the faith as a set of doctrines regarding Jesus as the Christ, Jude 1 and verse 3, a set of propositions, if you would. And the subject, faith as one's personal belief and trust in the doctrines in God himself. So you'll see in Hebrews 11 and verse 6. And so let's consider faith in each one of these elements, category as object and as subject. And we begin, of course, with category. The Hebrews author gives a very compelling definition of faith in Hebrews 11 and verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, far too often, faith is contrasted with one of the gods of this age, which is science. Now, scientific method is designed to produce results that we can replicate. And if it can be replicated often enough, it's seen as providing proof of a hypothesis. And then the hypothesis becomes a theory or an axiom. Through reason in the scientific method, we have ascertained many things which are true. And a lot of things have been proven, as, according to the standard, as far as the standard goes. And because of this, people have taken that concept in the domain of science and have expanded it to almost every domain. Everybody wants to see proof. They want to see proof of almost everything. Prove this, prove that, prove this, prove that, as if everything can be proved by a scientific method. The idea of mere assurance or conviction is not enough. But in the modern world, faith is thus understood as the domain of all things which cannot be proven, generally seen as metaphysical, beyond the physical or material realm. And, and because of that, and such a focus in, on the material realm these days, considered less real, and therefore derided as, as kind of a primitive backwater. And that's why so many have been raised to believe that there is no real relationship between faith and evidence. If there's evidence, therefore there's no faith. Because, after all, we have the evidence, right? If faith is necessary, it's only because there's no better evidence uh, that can be had. Uh, faith is, therefore, pejorative. You have faith when you have nothing else to go on. This idea of blind faith that you hear of so often. Matters of faith are those that are not measurable or definable through scientific methods. So theology, morality, ethics, and things like that. And this is how people are able to effectively sequester their faith life, or the lack thereof, into a few selected boxes. And everything else, people will uh, refer to other authorities, uh, consider other methods, and think that they've got some better proof involved. Well, unfortunately, it's a very terrible way of looking at the world, because in reality, whether people want to admit it or not, there's almost no evidence without faith, and little faith without evidence. In fact, the most pernicious lie, or one of the most pernicious lies that's been foisted upon people these days, is that scientific evidence, quote-unquote, has nothing to do with the realm of faith. And it doesn't take too long to kind of disabuse people of that notion, if we're going to be honest with ourselves. So let's consider a couple of the main theories of science. Uh, for instance, the Big Bang. It is currently believed by many scientists and others that the universe began with the Big Bang somewhere between 13.3 and 13.9 billion years ago. Well, what's the evidence for this? Well, the idea that light moves at a constant speed, something around 671 million miles an hour, and therefore it moves 6 trillion miles a year. Now, using redshift analysis of the cosmic microwave background radiation in the universe, 
which is believed to be a consequence of the Big Bang, it appears to have been about 13.3 to 13.9 billion years, light years away. And therefore, it is believed that the ev event took place 13.3 to 13.9 billion light years, uh, billion years ago, excuse me. But notice what these analyses assume. For instance, that the speed of light is constant. And that because there is a distance of 13 plus billion light years, that therefore the event took place 13 billion plus years ago. Now, is the speed of light constant? Well, yeah, sure, all evidence that we have would suggest so. But, on the one hand, who knows what other evidence is waiting to be found? And on the other hand, how can we be sure that the speed of light has always been constant in the past 13 billion years? How can we be certain that the event took place in reality because the distance is there? What if it were us all created at one point and made to appear older? And therefore, by necessity, there's some faith in that evidence. A confidence that the speed of light is constant. A confidence that what is perceived really took place in time, among other forms of confidence. Now, can all of those confidences be proven without a shadow of a doubt? No. And therefore, there will always be a measure of faith involved. Conviction based on probable evidence. However probable it really is in reality. We can also talk about human evolution, which is a very hard thing to talk about because the theory and model changes so frequently that it's hard to say anything that is definite. But what can be said for certain is that scientists make a lot out of bone fragments discovered in the ground, especially from Africa. Extrapolations are made on the basis of a handful of bones. And the dating estimates are based on carbon-14 dating and or strat stratigraphic dating, the belief that sedimentation happens at a relatively uniform rate. And therefore, there's always a lot of interpretation, much more so than evidence. And the interpretation tends to fit the model somehow. So really, there is still a lot of faith there. Faith, for instance, that uh, sediment layers have always been laid down at a constant enough rate that you can ascertain it. Faith that carbon-14 dating is consistent across the board. Faith that you can model a whole creature based upon a few bones. And not least, faith that all of that represent, in reality, a moment that happened in the past. Again, one might quibble with how probable uh, those uh, assumptions are. Nevertheless, there's still things you can't actually prove by the scientific method. And so there's all, this is just two examples of almost anything. You can take almost any theory out there however well proven, and point out that even in that proof, there are all kinds of things that are taken for granted as assumptions or as points of confidence that really ultimately can't themselves be proven, that are in fact assumptions, are in fact principles of faith. Interestingly, most compelling science over the past few centuries has to come about when all of a sudden some of those precious assumptions are challenged based upon new evidence that's been discovered and shown that in fact those assumptions were, in fact, invalid. Nevertheless, we see that faith is in evidence here, even when their people are trying to use a scientific method. It's lamentable also that those who have faith are derided as simpletons, uh, naive or foolish, because they are not willing to believe in something that cannot be empirically quote-unquote proven. Bertrand Russell did this famously in 1952 with his celestial teapot. Others include the invisible pink unicorn, the flying spaghetti monster, and the dragon in my garage. And these are ways of trying to denigrate faith to suggest that believing in the God of the Bible or other divinities is like believing in these creatures. But what's interesting about this is that no one has seriously suggested ever there is a, that there is a steel teapot, or that there's an invisible pink unicorn, or flying spaghetti monsters, or anything like that. 
In reality, even in uh, these matters that secular society has deemed matters of faith, if there's no evidence at all, no one's going to actually believe it. Why did so many of our ancestors worship natural forces? Well, in Romans 1, Paul suggests it's a perversion of an accurate understanding that there is a power greater than ourselves, that in fact they serve the manifestations and not the source of that power. People believe what they believe because they think it makes the best sense of all the evidence that they've found. Very few people, if any, actually have this blind faith that is spoken of so frequently. They are convicted about what they have not seen. They have assurance for their hope in some kind of evidence. And in fact, God has always insisted on such in uh, his revelations to Israel and through Jesus. God proved himself to the Israelites by delivering them from bondage in Egypt and by bringing them into the land of Canaan in Exodus through Joshua. In Acts 17, 31, Paul declares that we can have confidence that there's going to be a day of judgment because God has raised his son from the dead. So even faith has basis in evidence. Life thus cannot be so easily segregated into the faith box and the evidence box. And that's one of the great tragic consequences of the Enlightenment, is the idea that we can specialize everything and place these things in these compartments that don't touch. We cannot look to God for faith in some categories, but then to politics or other answers or science or economics in other quarters. Instead, matters of faith and evidence pervade all categories. Whatever you're talking about, there's going to be evidence and there's going to be a confidence in operating assumptions, which is faith. No matter what you're looking at, some of it ha may involve more uh, operating assumptions than others, but they all have this mix. Fundamentally, however, we must decide where we're going to place our trust and what level we trust before we get to these categories. So while faith is categorized, categorized excuse me, as it is in modern society for a lot of reasons, we need to challenge and critique uh, that category error that our culture has made if we're going to understand the faith truly, and for that matter, understand the creation truly as well. So that's the challenge with looking at faith as a category. Because really, faith as a category uh, shouldn't have to exist the way that it does. And so we need to grapple with that. And I hope that we have grappled with that and that we can move on from that. And to get into the scriptures themselves to see uh, what, for instance, Jude has to say in Jude 1 and in verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And so... We can turn Hebrews 11 into a question. Okay, so faith is this assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What are these things that we have not seen but were to be convicted about? What is this hope that provides assurance? And what Jude is trying to communicate is that there is this thing called the faith. And that's what we can accept as true. Um, this these things that happened that uh, have allowed us to have this hope and these things that we have not seen but believe have taken place. Uh, we can very, very briefly summarize the main premises of this faith as revealed in the pages of Scripture, that there is a God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, the Creator who is one, Genesis 1 and 2, Deuteronomy 6, Colossians 1, Hebrews 11, 6, that God made himself known to Israel through the prophets, and that he made himself known to all mankind as Jesus of Nazareth, God the Son, the Son of God, who lived, ministered, and died for the sins of the world, raised in power, ascended to the Father, who reigns as Lord. Lord, and will one day return to judge the living and the dead. In Acts 1 and 2, 17 through 31, John 1, 
1 Corinthians 15 and Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. That God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. He reigns over heaven and earth. His kingdom has been inaugurated and all those who are part of his body have been transferred into it. Christ's body is manifest on earth as the church. Jesus empowered the apostles to bind and loose on earth what has been bound and loosed in heaven. And they set forth the expected thoughts, feelings, and actions of of those who would follow the Lord Jesus and for how the church is a function, according to what is made known in Scripture. And we get this from Daniel 7, Matthew 18, 18, 28, 18, Acts 2, 36, Ephesians 2, 20, Colossians 1, 13, and 18, and many other passages. We could go into detail about all of those matters, and at other times we have, Lord willing, in a profitable way, to gain all sorts of a better understanding of the various aspects of the faith. But all of that is what the substance of the faith is. These are the things that are made known in Scripture about who God is, what He has done. And if we noticed, as as Jude said, it's been delivered once for all to the saints. That, in fact, Jude is affirming a finality of the revelation. That all that has been to made known, excuse me, all which was to be made known about Jesus of Nazareth and His kingdom had been made known through Jesus and the apostles. That that authority does not transfer. The need for that authority does not transfer. And therefore, every generation ever since has been called upon to work out what the faith means for their particular time and place. How to practice the faith in their particular context. So it's very important to understand is that the faith is a fixed quantity. It is the teachings at the core of the gospel, that which is to be believed and accepted as true regarding God and Christ. All of those things are the faith. But it's worth pointing out in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith as a category, and even faith as an object, mean very little to a person if a person cannot correlate them with the faith as what we call subject, their own personal convictions and confidence. This is something important. People think that they can get away from faith, but in fact, everybody has faith. Each and every one of us has a host of convictions that we trust and that we've built the rest of our lives and ideas about reality around them. And most of these convictions cannot be proven by the scientific method. And these convictions can be very pedestrian. That the sun's going to rise tomorrow. That the rules of physics are going to keep working. To something profound like what is right and wrong. My purpose on earth and my relation to my environment. The question that we have before us is not whether we have faith. But in what or in whom should we place our faith? And what the scriptures are trying to do is to attest to our need to believe in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does this faith look like? In Western culture, belief has kind of been systematized and philosophized, reduced to a set of propositions worthy of acceptance. And this is the way a lot of people look at faith. Really, they see faith as mental assent to a proposition. I believe 2 plus 2 equals 4, for instance. I have faith and confidence that 2 things plus 2 things equals 4. We can't just skip over something like that. Because we absolutely need to give mental assent to everything that we just talked about as the faith. In fact, our faith should entirely comport to the substance of the faith. We need to grow in our understanding so that the faith is the basis and and the substance of our faith. And yet, mere acceptance of propositions like Jesus is Lord is insufficient. We see in James chapter 2 and in verse 19 the following. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. 
demons recognize many of the propositions that we've talked about as the faith in Christ. They know it's true, but they shudder because they're not going to be saved by it. And that's why we reversed their definitional order. We did not talk about belief as, con- as, as just a mental essential proposition. The, the idea of accepting propositions is true. Because the primary driver of faith in the Bible is not acceptance of propositions, but trust. In fact, there's this word that God uses in the Old Testament. And the concept is abundantly attested in the New as well. It's a chesed. Chesed is hard to translate. Depending on your translation, it may be steadfast love, loving kindness, something of the sort. The word kind of denotes uh, affection, but it is rooted in a concept of loyalty. I think covenant loyalty is the best way of understanding that. And God has manifested covenant loyalty. He has maintained saving acts in the Exodus and in Jesus to demonstrate that he is, in fact, loyal to covenant. He makes a promise, he keeps it. And that he is eminently trustworthy and that his people ought to trust in him. Psalm 44, Romans 8, attest to that in both covenants. God expects people to respond to what he has done for them in faith, to put their trust in God and to follow his ways and thus not their own. This is why repentance is part of the gospel call. We need to change our minds for the better, to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand in Romans 4, 17, 23. That's a core concept of what we do when we learn that Jesus is Lord in Christ in Acts 2, 38. That's why God gave Israel the law to observe. And in Christ, God expects people to prove obedient to that standard of teaching to which we're committed to in the gospel in Romans 6, 14-23. We reckon God as faithful, but are to manifest faithfulness to ourselves as part of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 23-24, also in 2 Timothy 2, 12-13. And, and that is why faith only, this idea that many have come to, well, all you need to do is believe, is a complete distortion of what the Scriptures teach and even in terms of what faith means. Because as James tries to show in James 2, 14-26, is that faith without works is dead. Trust inherently demands obedience. Because if you are not obeying the one in whom you put your confidence, you're not really trusting in them. In Romans 1, 5, James 2, 14, 26, other places. And that's why we're to put our trust in God and Christ by accepting as true the substance of the faith as made known in the Scriptures. Absolutely, that's a part of it. But we go on by trusting God in Christ and to submit to their will as made known in Scripture. And that's the nature of faith. And society wants to relegate faith to an obscure metaphysical category uh, and try to marginalize it the best they can. But faith as conviction without quote-unquote proof, pervades all disciplines. In Christ and in Scripture, God has made known the faith once for all delivered to the saints, the body of teachings about God and Christ that we're all to accept, and that we must accept that body of teachings as true, and that is to lead us to put our trust in God and Christ to actually do the things He said, seek His ways, to restore that relationship with Him to His glory and honor to manifest our faith in God and Christ today so we can obtain the resurrection of life. We hope that you've been benefited by our conversation. If you have, we encourage you to share it online uh, with your friends and others. If you have any questions about anything that we've talked about, maybe you'd like to 
discuss some of these things in greater detail. Maybe you have other subjects you're interested in discussing. Maybe you'd like to explore other messages and, and information. Maybe you'd like to check us out. Uh, maybe meet with us at some point. Uh, we encourage you to find us online at VeniceChurchOfChrist.org. We can also be found on various social media platforms. If you'd like to get a hold of me personally, you can reach me at my website at DeVerboVitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. We again thank you. Have a great day.